Well, it sounds like your search team is doing an excellent job. A great uh, list of prayer items for you to focus on. Sounds like you're coming towards the end. Uh, I'm sure you're wondering what is taking so long, but I want you to know it it, uh, takes time to find uh, the man God is leading you to. Uh, I attend uh, First Stevie Free in Chicago, which is in the Andersonville area of the city, and we now have just passed two years (laughs) without a senior pastor. And uh, I don't think we're quite as far along as you are in this process. So uh, be encouraged. Uh, It isn't taking you that long. Uh, One of the reasons I've been asked to speak for four weeks is because you're not having a senior who speaks regularly. You have uh, had the privilege of hearing many, many people preach. And uh, after a period of time, having someone new every week gets a little uh, challenging. It maybe gets old, and so they were hoping uh, someone would be able in their schedule to do several weeks in a row. So that's why I am here for four weeks. I won't be here next week. I, my schedule wasn't quite, so it could do all four weeks either. So two weeks now, and then go on next week, and then two weeks after. Each week, we are looking at this subject of uh, Jesus Christ coming back. Uh, Last week, we uh, addressed the issue of staying on task, and this week, we want to look at living in readiness. Uh, It always amazes me how God's sovereignty works. Um, Every year, I do something a little bit different for my morning time of meeting with God. I'm always in the scriptures. I generally am working through the entire biblical text throughout the year, but then I do other things to help uh, just fill my soul. I usually read a couple of pages of theology, and then this year I've added reading through a hymn book. Uh, Does anyone remember what a hymn book looks like? Okay, okay. Well, anyway, I found an old one in our, in our house, and, and it, it's interesting. Here I'm preaching these four Sundays on the return of Christ, and wouldn't you know it, the section I'm reading through in this hymn book is, is about ten pages of songs of the return of Christ. I thought that was interesting. And, and so I wanted to read one of these uh, songs or hymns to you. Uh, There aren't a lot of uh, songs written today on Christ's return. Uh, We just don't think about a lot. And so that's why I wanted to bring that subject to you. Uh, This is called, What If It Were Today? Uh, Three verses and then uh, the reading of the chorus. Uh, Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? Coming to claim his chosen bride, all the redeemed and purified, over this whole earth scattered wide, what if it were today? Satan's dominion will soon be o'er, oh, that it were today. Sorrow and sighing shall be no more, oh, that it were today. 
Then shall the dead in Christ arise, caught up to meet him in the skies. When shall these glories meet our eyes? What if it were today? Now this last verse speaks to the subject of living in readiness. Faithful and true would he find us here if he should come today, watching in gladness and not in fear if he should come today. Signs of his coming multiply. Morning light breaks in eastern sky. Watch for that time is drawing nigh. What if it were today? Then the chorus, glory, glory, joy to my heart will bring. Glory, glory, when we shall crown him king. Glory, glory, haste to prepare the way. Glory, glory, Jesus will come someday. What if it were today? Are you living in readiness for his return? As I said, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I do know he's coming back. One other thing I know about his return, since he did not come since last Sunday when I preached, I do know that we are at least one week closer to his return. So how can I be so certain, how can I be so adamant that Jesus Christ is coming back? Well, it's because of my stand on Scripture. This here is God's Word, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. You maybe define it in different terms. But this is God's revelation to me. He has made himself known to me through his word. He inspired this word, and therefore it is without error, and it is infallible in its truths. And therefore it is absolute truth for me. So if something in here is stated or declared, then I know for certain it will happen. And I discovered that uh, the angels said he would return. As the disciples looked at Jesus going up into heaven as they continued gazing up there, this is recorded of the angelic conversation. This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So the angel said he would come back. The apostle said, Paul said, he is coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And more importantly, Jesus said he's coming back. In John 14.1-3, he says this about his departure, and time away from the disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also." 
So as I think of what Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. To me, that begs the question, if Jesus is spending all this time while he's away from me in preparation for his return, should I not also be living in preparation for his return? So I'm ready for his return. Just as he is preparing, I too need to be preparing for his return. And so that's why I felt it important to look at this text, which I believe teaches us about living in readiness. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Let me read these to you. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and glory and eternal dominion. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we now turn to your word and look at what it says, we pray that you would guide us through the power and direction of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A man by the name of Francis Schaeffer, you might have heard of him, you might not have, but he was definitely a theologian and apologist, definitely during my university years. And he wrote a book and produced a movie entitled, How Then Should We Live? And I think that speaks to what I'm asking. How do we live in readiness? And I believe the way we live in readiness is by honoring Christ for who he is. So how do I know how to honor him? Well, I want us to jump to the middle of the text we're looking at, and I discover that there's very clear description of who Jesus Christ is. And it's only when we really know who he is that we can live a life that honors him. A Chicago pastor by the name of A.W. Tozier, page 9 of chapter 1, entitled, Why We Must Think Rightly About God in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like 
And only when we understand who God is will we be able to live a life in readiness that honors him when he returns. Uh, So what do we learn about God, his son Christ, and the Holy Spirit here? What is the character described for us here? In verse 13, we note that it says, "...who gives life to all things." The one thing we definitely know about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is that they are the creators. Uh, Colossians chapter 1.16 flushes it out, particularly Christ's involvement in creation, when it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. So that tells me that no matter what it is, who it is, or where it is, Christ has created it. And that last line, all things have been created by him and for him, that tells me that no matter what it is, who it is, or where it is, it was created for his purposes. So what are the implications of this character trait, creator, for me? The psalmist had it right when he said in Psalm 139, 13, he fashioned me in my mother's womb. He made you and he made me just right. (laughs) He made you and me for what he needed us to be to finish his purposes. Uh, So we need to remember, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, verse 20, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? God made me for his purposes. Do you honor God by living out this kind of life, thanking him for who you are and what you are like, for the talents and the abilities he has created in you? Uh, When you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I realize sometimes it's scary, (laughs) but are you able to say, Father, thank you for making me the way you have made me and for the things you have made me to do. You see, God does not make mistakes. (laughs) You are who you are because he created you for his purposes. And so in honoring him, we need to take care of ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, and and spiritually so that we can do the things God has purposed for us. Not only is he the creator, but we discover he is the Messiah. Now, verse 13 doesn't use the term Messiah, but it says, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What was it that Jesus confessed to Pilate. 
Well, we have a very, very lengthy a recording of the conversation between Jesus and Pilate in John 28. But in Matthew 27, 11, we have this summary of what Christ confessed to Pilate. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And so I find in the substance of Jesus' confession to Pilate that he was claiming himself to be the Messiah, the King. And not just the Messiah King, but he is the Messiah saving King. And so I have this wonderful truth to know that Jesus, as my Messiah saving King, saved me. And so that's why Paul writes to Titus this reminder, chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of the deeds we have done in righteousness, but according to the mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And First Peter, chapter 1, verses 17 through 90, 19, speak of how this took place. He, he redeemed me. That's the language Peter uses, and it's interesting because it focuses in on what I'm talking about, living in readiness, because in the middle of that text it says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That, that phrase, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth, that honors that redeeming work that our Messiah, Messiah King has accomplished. So how do we respond to this? I like the, the letter that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He pens these words in 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. The way we honor the Messiah, the Savior King, is by not living a life any longer for ourselves, but for Christ. So do you pray, Lord Jesus, what would you have for me? today? Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? Lord, this is not my life, but I'm wanting to live out my life in honor of you because you are my saving Messiah King. Not only is the creator and the Messiah saving King, but he is also the absolute ruler. Look at verse 15. Only Savior, King of kings, Lord of lords. If he is the only sovereign, the king over kings and the Lord over lords, then, then it means all rules, regulations, cultural norms, political correctness are ultimately established by God the Son, Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh. His ways supersede all other authority 
on the face of the earth. And so that's why the, the disciples could so boldly tell the high priest, as recorded in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, we must obey God rather than men. They didn't want him to speak of Jesus and his resurrection, but they had to obey the absolute ruler. So what are the implications for me? Do I willingly live under the authority of Jesus Christ? That, that's called lordship. And so it leads me to some follow-up questions. Am I obedient to the words of Christ? Do I allow him to be lord of my life in all situations? Do I live as a citizen who dwells in his kingdom? I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but over the years, as I think of the Lord's Prayer, one of the statements that is made is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think when we, we think of that statement in the Lord's Prayer, we are often thinking of the product. Lord, what is your will? We want your will to be established in our realm. But I think it also speaks to the process of that will coming about. So when it says, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven, I'm thinking of maybe the angelic response as they stand around the throne of God and he sends him on, on his work. Now, this is extra biblical. <laughs> I do not have a text to go to for this. But as I envision the angels around God's throne, and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. I don't think any questions are asked. <laughs> I don't think there's any disagreement with God. Christ. I don't think there's any rebellion and I don't think there is any delay in accomplishing his will. And so when I pray, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, can I say of my obedience to Christ that I never question it, I never disagree with it, I'm never in rebellion of it, and I do it as quickly as I can. I believe that is how we honor Christ as the absolute ruler. Uh, two other characteristics we discover about Christ is, verse 16, he is eternal. It says, who alone possesses immortality? When I think of that, that reminds me that uh, everything I see around me is going to come to an end. That Northwestern diploma that hangs on the wall, it's going to be no more. Uh, that 401k that I'm just, you know, faithfully putting money into, it's going to be gone. So I ask myself, in light of Christ's immortality and he alone 
last for eternity? Do, do I invest in the things that are long-term? As Christ said in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do break in and steal. Do I honor Christ's eternalness by investing in those things, spending my time in those efforts that will go on in the eternal kingdom of God? And finally, verse 16, it says, He is transcendent. Well, it doesn't say he's transcendent, but it's speaking to that. He dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can seen. see. Uh, transcendent means that he exists apart from a creation. He's not subject to the limitations of this material world. Uh, so that means he is omniscient, all-knowing. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at one time. And what that does for me is helps me honor Him by living a life of victory. Well, that doesn't mean life won't be without its challenges. There won't be difficulties, but I live victoriously through them. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. And so we have this description of Christ, creator, savior, king, absolute ruler, eternal, and transcendent. I've asked some questions that I would hope help you think through this living in anticipation, honoring him, but is there something else in our text we can look to that, that gives us direction in how we honor Christ? Well, I believe we honor Christ with our verbal confession. Look at the second part of verse 12. You made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I believe this speaks to the faithfulness of the task of preaching and proclaiming the good news. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Uh, Peter writes an exhortation in chapter 3, verse 15 of his first letter, Always be ready to make a defense. And so that's why we need to know what the gospel is all about so that I can make this verbal confession and honor this one who is my creator, my savior, king, my absolute ruler, who is eternal and is transcendent. And what is that gospel? A reminder from last week. Well, it's a past event. It's when God's grace stepped into our life. It brought salvation and redemption. There's a present reality, a transformation and sanctification and a future hope, Christ's return and glorification. So we need to honor Christ with our verbal confession. But we need to also honor him by living out obedience. Look at 14. You keep the commandment without stain 
or reproach. This is not speaking of earning your salvation. Salvation has already come. Now you are just responding to what has taken place in your life. So what's the difference between stain and reproach? Well, as I was thinking about this, a stain is more like a secret sin. Uh, Now, this is not describing a secret sin, but it, it might be something like this. On the way to church, you stop at Starbucks. And while you're drinking your Starbucks specialty drink, a drip comes out of it and falls on your tie or your bow tie, you know, or your lapel. But oh, you wipe it off. You see the stain. You come to church. You know it's there, but no one else does. That's a stain. A reproach would be, You've stopped at Starbucks, you've got your specialty drink, and on your way to church, as you're drinking it, the entire lid falls off, (laughs) and you are drenched. You come in, and people not only see it, but they comment about it. Is this what Jesus was describing when he was talking about sins in, in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, he said this, Matthew chapter 5, 27, 28. You've heard that it said, you shall not commit adultery. That's reproach. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. That, that's a stain. And so living out a life of obedience means that we do not commit sins within our heart that no one other else sees and knows about except for God. And we certainly don't commit them so other people see them and are commented. No, we live a life of obedience. And so in order to not dirty the commands of Christ, I do some self-evaluation of myself. Eyes, You're looking at things you shouldn't look at? Ears, are you listening to things you shouldn't listen to? Mouth, are you saying things you should not say? Feet, are you taking me to places I should not go? Hands, are you doing things you ought not do? Mind, are you thinking about things you ought not think? Why do I say that? Because we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength. And and so we want to do a self-evaluation of our love of God so that we do live in obedience and honor Him. The second part of that commandment says, love your neighbor as yourself. So do you do self-examination of how you treat others? What do you say about people behind their back? How do you treat them? How do you react to them? Self-examination is not easy. We become callous to sin. We become callous to our ways. They become habits. And so that's why we need to pray the prayer of Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. 
and lead me in the everlasting way. And why do I say this prayer? It's because I want to honor Christ, waiting for his return by living a life of obedience. We really don't have a lot more time here, so I'm just going to summarize a couple of things here. In order to live this life, we need to live in an absolute contrast to the world's presentation of life. Uh, Look at the beginning of our text. It says, but. But. That means we need to look back because this is the contrast of what's gone before and the things that are gone before, all all these things about what what, what the world is like. But in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, but do not be conformed to this world. We need to live a life that's absolutely different from the world around us. And how do we do that? Well, there's some defensive moves. Verse 11, flee from these things. And there's some offensive moves. Pursue these things. I'm going to challenge you to continue studying this text. Look at the things you're supposed to defensively do and flee from them. And what are the offensive moves you should do where you pursue things? Living in readiness. It's all about honoring Jesus Christ for who he is. It's active and it's proactive living for Christ. Not to gain salvation, that has already come. But it's to live out who he is and who you claim to be. He is your creator. He is your sovereign king. He is your absolute ruler. He is eternal and he is transcendent. So honor him by confessing him and living for him. Be ready for him because, as the song says, what if it were today? And we want to live in honor of him when he arrives. Be ready for him. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the privilege it is to study your word and learn from you and be challenged. Uh, Lord, I will admit what I've said today here is not easy. But you've asked us to live a life that is countercultural. Help us be brave enough to do that through the power and working of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.